as both a dad and a priest, my sense of humor might be a little skunky. <laughs> but I find this passage hilarious. <laughs> I love what John says. I love how the people respond. And I love, (laughs) I love that the makers of the revised common lectionary, the people who decide what we read in church on each given day, that these people picked this reading for Advent. It's like, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Merry Christmas. It's not just Advent, as we talked about before. It's Advent 3, it's good at Sundays, the, the pink candle day, it's our joyous day. <laughs> what were they thinking? Uh, it's kind of great. And as if the beginning weren't harsh enough, you got those final verses. He will baptize you with fire, the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And then Luke like ties a little bow on it. <laughs> and so he proclaimed the good news. It's awesome. Despite the fire and brimstone and lack of Christmas cheer, this passage really is good news. Let's take a look at it. The reading picks up where we left off last week. John is in the wilderness baptizing by the Jordan. He's reminding people to prepare the interstate of the Lord, right? but not by destroying nature, by leveling everything that separates us from God and neighbor. While he's doing that, the very people who have messed up those relationships, the religious establishment from Jerusalem, sends some folks out to John's campground to spy on him. That is why John is so mad. People have come to like rubberneck, right? They've come to, to point out, point fingers at John and see if he is doing things right, doing things their way. That's why he's so mad. He's trying, John is trying to help people, to bring the world into health and into happiness, into relationship. And these folks show up from the city, pretending to be part of that change when in fact they're just there to catch John doing something bad. These religious authorities are the epitome of privilege. They live in the big city, Jerusalem, the Judean Big Apple. They enjoy a level of economic privilege and comfort that set them high above the average Joseph. They themselves are not fully aware of how much they have been giving, and now they're in positions of power based on their ancestry and class. Stop me if this sounds familiar, perhaps like a certain self-made businessman turned politician. John's reaction, you brood of vipers, is a response to that arrogance and privilege. He's rejecting the pride that depends on privilege and ancestry and heritage. Isn't it interesting how important ancestry has become in the popular culture these days? Like, you really can't avoid it. It's all over the interwebs. 
There's Ancestry.com, there's 23andMe, MyHeritage DNA, Helix, Family Tree DNA, Family Tree Explorer, African Ancestry, Living DNA, and even National Geographic has somehow gotten in on this whole like Ancestry thing. That's crazy. In 2016, Ancestry.com sold over 1.4 million DNA kits. The next year, they, they doubled that. Millions of people are searching. They are searching for identity. Today, John is saying your identity is not in your DNA. It's not in your heritage, who your grandparents were, who your family is. Your identity is in the tree of life. Your identity is in connection to God and neighbor. That's what's going on with this whole like children of Abraham thing in the middle of this passage. Do you notice that? Religious folks from Jerusalem put their hope in tradition, in God's promise to Abraham. Now, all of that is the foundation of the vast majority of human faith on this planet. That promise to Abraham in various traditions, right? That is no mistake. But the mistake that John identifies is how we respond to the faith that has been passed down for generations. Do we respond by living into that promise, by living out our love by living fully and inspiring others to do the same? Or do we say, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, we all know folks who say they're a Christian or who like to say they're, they're saved uh, in a way that makes me want to carry around a barf bag. Um, <laughs> that, that sort of talk has been going on forever. When John says children of Abraham, hear ancient Judean saved. John is saying that how you live is more important than that identity that you use as a pedestal. Because God can use anyone. God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. God can change the world through anyone at any time. Anyone who is willing. Great, the people say, sign me up. What should we do? And I love John's response. Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. That's it. It's not complicated. Share. Help people. Take what you've got. If you've got extra, give it some to other folks that don't have any. Great. What about the tax collectors? Those guys are real jerks. We don't like them at all. Those guys are like ancient mobsters. They're extorting money from the people. These guys are lame. What does John say to them? He doesn't say, like, stop partnering with empire, you know, or, or don't, you know, quit your job and go give all your money away, whatever. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. He says, don't steal. Do your job, but do it well. Take only what is right. This is not exactly demanding. When we hear prophets like John, we think they're coming to get us. You know, we get defensive at these kind of words. 
We expect that the axe at the root of the tree is there to cut us down. <laughs> or our loved ones or whatever. In Advent, we are waiting for change. We are hoping for change. We are expecting change. Spanish speakers out there, you know that one word sums up that waiting, that hoping, and that expecting. Espera, or esperar, to wait, to hope, to expect. What do we expect? What do we hope for? What is that axe at the end of the tree? What kind of change do we want to see? What are we waiting for? I think there are plenty of people, myself included, who secretly hope for like a political change, right? Uh, for what we think of as justice. Wouldn't it be great news if the people who caused pain and suffering finally got what was coming to them? Get that chaff out of here, right? <laughs> that's like, that's good news. How's it going, Sammy? What you got? You want to put that up here with ours? Nice. That sentiment of like, oh, I want the change, that's what's behind all this apocalyptic message here in, in, in this passage, right? I was like, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if there was change? And that's what, that's what they're voicing. I want some good news for people who are, need change, for people who have been put in a hard situation by this political oppression. That is good news for folks. Every Advent, we wait, and we hope. Almost every year, I, I, uh, I end up watching you know, a Christmas story. Do you guys, you guys watch Christmas story? Um, so I'm going to jump. I mean, if, I'm not going to give any background or anything. You know how uh, Ralphie like, runs every day to the mailbox? Remember, do you remember what he's doing? He's, yeah, he's looking for the decoder ring. Exactly. He's waiting. He's ordered a little orphan Annie decoder ring. Uh, and, you know, he listens to the orphan Annie uh, radio show, and he's waiting for this ring. And, and every day after school, you see him running, and he, and he like, pulls it open, pulls up in the mailbox. And, ah, it's not there today. Whatever. I, that's, it's a perfect Advent metaphor. Running and hoping and waiting and expecting. We live into Advent by waiting and hoping and expecting. We don't really know what to expect. Like, like, he, like, uh, like a Ralphie, he doesn't know what's going to happen when this thing shows up. But he thinks it's going to be something amazing. Right? That's how it should feel every year at Advent. Sammy knows we don't know what to expect. He lives into it. And I love it. He's okay. He's fine. Um, that's how it should feel for us every year. We don't know what is coming. We don't know what every day is going to be like. We are not like those arrogant folks who pretend to know, right? I hope not. Maybe, yes. Sometimes, yes. Because we don't know what God is going to do in our lives, what God is going to do in the world. Except we do know. We know a bit of what is coming. What is coming in this Advent time? Who is coming in this Advent time? A baby is coming in this Advent time. Often, Advent is compared to pregnancy. In pregnancy, you have some idea of what is coming. 
could you imagine if you didn't know what was happening at all? I mean, just <laughs> to, to watch your body transform in that way, it would be terrifying. Terrifying. It's scary enough when you do know what is coming. I know this because I've just been through this. <laughs> you have so many thoughts. What if the baby isn't healthy? What if other children in your family have a hard time adjusting? What if something happens to your beloved in, through, in the pregnancy or in labor? It, that time, that pregnancy time is... Unlike anything else in waiting and expecting. We've got some more folks that understand this. You guys just jumped in on some pregnancy talk. We're almost wrapping up here, though. Excited to see you. But there's so much you don't know. There's so much you hope for and wait for in the pregnancy time, but you don't know what it will be like. What will that recovery be like? Who is this little person that's going to be in your life, the center of your life? What are they going to be like? All that waiting, all that uncertainty is hard. But it is like the rest of our lives, whether we know it or not. All our lives, we are waiting. We are always changing. Sometimes more than others. Sometimes it's our bodies. Sometimes it's our hearts. Sometimes it's our careers. Sometimes it's our roles. We are always changing. And that changing is intrinsically tied to waiting and hoping and expecting. Espera. Wait and hope. Eventually, the waiting ends. And it ends with a newborn. An infant. New life. A human being so small and so delicate, so fragile, so vulnerable. When I see Amos, especially when he was just born, after you've had other kids, and they, 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 you think they're small, and then you see this newborn, and you're like, that is impossibly small. And he was our smallest of the small ones. And that vulnerability just stops you dead in your tracks. It cuts me down. That is the axe at the root of the tree. A newborn baby. It's not condemnation. It's connection. Amen.